Uh, looking at Ruth chapter 2, and uh, we're going to have some overlap. Uh, we're going to look at some of the same passage that we looked at um, last week, and then next week we're going to look at the last part of this passage again, because there's just so much in here. It's so rich, so we don't, we don't want to miss anything. But uh, we're in Ruth uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and uh, the passage we're looking at is printed for you in the bulletin. If you, wanna, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along there. Hear God's word. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she, uh, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for your word and uh, how it challenges us in every area of our lives. That, um, that we might know you and know your goodness in every area of our life. So uh, I pray for your spirit now to attend to us as we study your word. And would you take these words and apply, uh, apply them into each one of our individual lives that you would both challenge us and also uh, teach us of your grace and your love that we might trust in you and turn to you. And uh, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, uh, we talked about caring for the poor, and we looked at this passage as a Boaz, a model for caring for the poor, and one of the things that we uh, pointed out is that caring for the poor is something that is done by a community, by a church, that is committed to caring for the poor, that kind of has the conviction that we need to care for those who are in need. And actually, a few years ago, I went to a conference and, uh, where a man named John Perkins was interviewed. Uh, John Perkins is... Uh, um, uh, he's a guy in his 80s who's been doing Christian ministry for decades, primarily in Af uh, lower-income African-American communities, and uh, does a lot of community development. You know, he started tutoring programs and, you know, kind of halfway homes and transitional housing and things like that. And, uh, and one of the things he was saying, uh, he was being interviewed in, in front of all these, you know, 5,000 people, and they said, what's the most important thing that you have found in doing community de development? What's the most important thing that a community needs? And without even thinking, his first answer 
is church planting. The best thing you can do for any community is plant and start a church in it. Is a community just like this. Because actually all the things that you need for caring for the poor happen in a church. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning is we're going to be talking about generosity. uh, About what it means to be open-handed and generous with the resources God has entrusted to each of us. And particularly for the investment both in a community like a church, but also open-handed to those in our community outside of the church. And, uh, you know, I should say, uh, you know, some of you, if you're on Faith Life, I was just announcing about Faith Life, Paul Fredette put a, a gentle charge to our con- congregation about giving. And, uh, and I, I'm gonna kinda, I guess I'm going to build on that, because here, just where we are in this passage in Ruth, uh, we have this picture of Boaz, who uh, he's, he's a pretty well-off landowner, but is very generous, uh, a beautifully generous heart. And uh, it's just, uh, there's a lot that we have to learn from him and how he handles the resources that God has entrusted to him, his wealth. What does he do with it? And, um, and in fact, uh, talking about possessions and money was actually an important part of Jesus' ministry. If you read through Jesus' ministry, it's a topic that comes up fairly regularly. That's one of the reasons why we need to talk about it. We probably should talk about it more regularly than we do. It's probably a couple times a year we talk about it. But, you know, Jesus says, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's better to give than to receive. And, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And uh, what the Bible says is that money is actually a good indicator of our hearts. It's a mirror for us of the things that are really important to us. And so it's a really, in, in talking about our spiritual lives, it's a tremendously important thing for us to reflect on. And this is a great passage for us to do that this morning. So um, we're going to be uh, uh, talking about money, which I, you know, I recognize, you know, especially if you're visiting with us, I recognize that money can be a delicate topic in churches and pastors talking about money. One of the things, a conviction of our church is there's nothing that we don't talk about. We talk about everything, because discipleship, following Jesus, touches every area of your life. And so it's going to touch every area of our life, and so I'm excited to talk about this. And so our question this morning is, how do we become a generous people? How do we become that? How does that transformation happen? Four answers to that in this passage. What makes us generous? The four things are the law of the Lord, the work of the Spirit, the provision of the Father, and the example of Jesus. Okay? These four things. The law of the Lord, the work of the Spirit, the provision of the Father, and the example of Jesus. Four things that we'll see in this passage that really transform us into being people that live a life primarily devoted to accumulating things for myself, to becoming the kind of person who's open-handed, and my possessions easily flow away from me, both for God's kingdom and for the good of others. Okay? So how does that transformation happen? First thing, the law of the Lord. Okay? And, you know, I mentioned this last week, that one of the things that Boaz is doing, Boaz is, is just this really great man that we meet in this passage. You know, uh, if, you, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, What's happened in this story is there's these two, uh, these two widows who've come to the land of Judah and Bethlehem, and uh, their, you know, their husbands have died, one of them, both their sons have died, and they have nothing, and they've come to this land, and it turns out that one of the widows goes into this field to glean, which means you know, she's going to pick up the kind of leftover um, you know, grain that, that wasn't picked up by the reapers, and, uh, and she meets this man, Boaz, who says, come, and you know, I'm going to 
you know, take from my field. And he's very generous to them. And, and he's just met them. And this is how it describes it. Verse, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. He says, don't go look to someone else. Look to me to be generous. Right? I'm, not, I'm not putting you off to someone else. I, I'm taking responsibility for you to be generous. Okay? Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you uh, when you are thirsty? Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So he's providing, he's, he's being, you know, he's providing food for her and protection for her, and he's providing a drink for her. And then if you skip down to the end of this passage, we read verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So he's being extra generous, making sure that there's all kinds of food that's there to provide for her. And so what he is, is he's not holding on to his possessions. He's open with them. They are flowing away from him uh, to, the, to what God is doing and to the needs of others. And what this is, what he's really doing, is he's really just doing what the Old Testament law instructed God's people to do. This is, you know, he's just simply, this is what God's commanded me to do, and so I do it. And um, generosity, uh, not just for the Israelites, but also for foreigners, was a revolutionary part of the Old Testament law. This is God's vision for his community and how they were going to care for people, is that they were a generous uh, people, and they were marked by generosity with their possessions. And I, now, on page three of your bulletin, I put a little passage from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15, that kind of describes God's vision for a community being generous. It's very beautiful. You can turn there. I'm going to read it to you. One of the things about Genesis 15, Genesis 14, which is right before this passage, in the end of, or sorry, not Genesis, Deuteronomy 14, in, right before Deuteronomy 15, is the passage that actually talks about the tithe. So in the Old Testament, um, all of God's people were called to bring a tithe, and tithe meant a tenth of their wealth, or of their possessions, or their income, or their you know, produce. And it gives this great picture where they, they brought their tithe to the Lord, and then the whole community would have a feast around it. And it was like the tithe was used as this community-building fund that brought the community together, so they're eating together. And then, and then part, uh, part of the tithe was used to care for the Levites, who were kind of like the pastors of the Old Testament, and make sure that they had a living, their families were cared for. And then also that the, uh, the orphans and the widows and the poor were cared for as well, so that came out of the tithe. And then also in the New Testament, they added another thing that you did with the tithe, was that uh, for missionaries, uh, now as the church was sending out missionaries, you should use part of the church's resources. We should be pooling our resources together to, uh, to care for missionaries or going out and planting new churches and, and spreading the gospel. And, you know, I, let me just make one comment about the tithe in the Old Testament. It's probably important to note that the Bible never says that people should give a tithe. It always says that they should bring a tithe. Why does it say bring and not give? Because the assumption of the Bible is not mine. I'm not giving it to the Lord. It's, it's His. And I bring it to Him. It's already His. And so then, so God has, has painted this picture of a people bringing their, their offerings, their tithe together to form a community that's caring for the poor and has this life together. And then he says, on top of that, you should also be open-handed and generous. This is what it says. Look at this, this great passage, Deuteronomy 
15. And you can just hear Boaz in this passage. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be uh, grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother to give Uh, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Great picture. And Boaz, simply, he had the law of the Lord in his heart. And it came out of him when the time came, okay, to be generous, to be open-handed, okay? Now, one of the things about when we're confronted with the law of the Lord, there are two kind of responses to the law, okay? These are God's commands. This is what he expects of you to be generous and open-handed. There's two responses. For some of us, we read that. We hear about that. We hear about the tithe. Oh, I'm supposed to bring the tithe. I'm supposed to be open-handed and generous with all these people. And we say, you know, I needed a little reminder about that. You know, I need a little, you know, Paul Fredette on Faith Life giving me a little uh, reminder that I need to be generous. You know, maybe I need to think more about my finances and I, you know, how maybe I need to do some budgeting so I can be more generous and I can bring my, bring my offering to the church. And um, that's one of the things that the law can do. You know, for some of us, we hear that and it's not this huge burden of guilt, when we hear that we haven't been doing God's law, we just hear it as a guide to us. And to say, oh, this is how I'm, this is how I'm supposed to live. Actually, when I was uh, in graduate school, I, uh, down at the University of Washington, I, I had two young kids. I was a graduate assistant, you know, making a little stipend. And I was going to this church in Kirkland, and there was a guy who's a... He was kind of my generation, but, you know, maybe five years older than me. And he had, a, you know, he had a job, and he was really involved in the church, a guy I really respected. And somehow we started talking about tithing, came up. And he, and he said something to me, you know, I, I, he asked me if, if I was giving or something. And I thought, you know, it's kind of a personal question. Well, you know, I'm in graduate school. And he says, well, the Bible never says that, uh, you know, when you're done with graduate school, that's when you begin, begin your tithing. He never says that. I was like, Wow you got a lot of nerve, pal, you know, to uh, talk to me like that. And actually, I don't think I've ever said that to anyone. And yet, it was a great gift to me and my family because that became a principle for us. This is, this is something that's not ours, and we give it. And I'll tell you what happened. You know, we had young kids all the way through graduate school. I was in graduate school for four more years after that. And guess who never starved? Guess who always had clothes? All my kids. We always had a house. We always, uh, the electric bill always got paid. I don't know how, but it did. And it's because the Lord provided. And I'll just tell you, I've heard that every generous person I've ever met who's a Christian, and, they, and they, they give to the Lord and they give to others, they consistently say the Lord has always taken care of us. And this is, uh, here, this is what Psalm 37 says. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. It's a great picture. 
is that God intends us to lend and he will, he will care for us richly so that we can be a generous people. That's why he's generous with us, so we can be a generous people. So for some of us, we hear the law and we're saying, hey, that's a good reminder. You know, I feel challenged. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about my finances. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get serving. Now for some of us, uh, though, uh, it makes us a little uneasy hearing about the law and God's commandments, you know, and he has instructions for us with our money and we feel a little, you know, on guard a little bit. Maybe we feel a little bit of guilt for that. You know, I am a little, hold on to my money, a little bit tight. And the Bible is bringing that up. And let me just say, if you feel that way when you hear the law of the Lord, that's okay. That's what the Bible, that's what the law is supposed to do. The, uh, the law is a mirror in, that exposes our hearts and shows us what is in our hearts. And, um, but what that also means is that when we see that and say, you know, maybe I'm not that generous. And it's really actually doing what that, that uh, Deuteronomy says is actually very hard, very challenging for me. I'm not sure I can do that. And maybe, you know, just seeing Boaz or, you know, hearing Paul give a charge to our congregation on, on faith life or something like that, maybe, that's, maybe that shows us what's really in our hearts. And what that teaches is that it's not simply enough for the law of the Lord to challenge us. Something else has to happen in our hearts to become a generous people, right? And the law might just be showing us that. And so this is the second thing. This is not just the law of the Lord that makes us a generous people, but it is also the work of the Spirit in our hearts that makes us generous. It is the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. And you'll notice that uh, this was in the, in the passage that we read last week, in verse 2 of chapter 2, Ruth has just come to back to Judah and Bethlehem, uh, Ruth and Naomi have no money. They're poor. And so Ruth comes up with this idea and she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So she says, let me go out to the field and see maybe there will be someone who's generous out there. Maybe someone in whose heart I will find favor. And her only hope is that there will, someone's heart will be turned towards her and that their heart will be moved towards generosity. Maybe I'll find someone who, who I, will show me favor. And then verse 13, this is what she says. Look at verse 13. Then she said to Boaz, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She says, something stirred in your heart. And, uh, you know, that's one of the big things in the book of Ruth. One of the big themes is that God's kind of invisible hand is orchestrating and working all things uh, together. And so here what happens is Ruth doesn't even say a prayer to the Lord. She just says it to Naomi and says, maybe someone will show me favor. Maybe someone's heart will stirred, be stirred uh, to be generous towards me. And one commentator uh, says this. He says, Boaz is kind to Ruth because Yahweh has prepared his heart for her. Yahweh had done a work in Boaz's heart. It was, it was God himself in Boaz who had made him generous and made him ready to give to her. Generosity is the work of God's spirit in his people. And, you know, I've, I've experienced that before. When I was getting ready to uh, church plant, when we were moving back to Bellingham, uh, I, I had a, it was 2009, and I was fundraising, in which was in 2009, if you remember, it was not a good year to try to raise money to start a church. And, uh, and so I was, you know, it was dead ends everywhere. And, and one of my fundraising trips, I went down to Birmingham, Alabama, this giant church down there. And you know, I got in my suit and everything, and I was going to the missions 
guy, to, the pastor, to ask him for money to help plant this church up in Bellingham, Washington, which he'd never heard of. And I went down there. I spent a few days down there. I just stayed. My buddy had a, uh, his family uh, lived in Birmingham, and I stayed with them. But I was really going to meet these churches. There was a number of churches that I met with. None of the churches, I didn't get any money from any of them. And, uh, which was very discouraging. But at the end of the trip, the, his dad was taking me to the airport, and he was dropping me off at the airport, and uh, we're, you know, he's handed me the bag, and he said, hey, it's really great meeting you here. And I had never, it didn't occur to me to ask him for some money, the guy I was staying with. And all of a sudden, he says, you know, here's your bag. You know, the number that comes to my mind is $300 a month. I was like, what? The number that, and, uh, and just on the spot, he said, yeah, I think we're going to give you $300 a month to go start your church. I didn't even ask him. And yet the spirit had been stirring in him and this desire. And at the end, he just springs on me. He says, I want to I support what you're doing. And I'm generous and open-handed. And uh, that's something that the Lord has to do in someone. I was just like, wow, praise the Lord. I didn't even ask for that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and here's this guy who's caring for us. And what makes a church like ours a generous community is it's not guilt. Guilt does not make a generous people. It is the Spirit of God working in our hearts that makes us, that changes the kind of people we are, that makes us generous, okay? And so the question is, how does the Spirit do that? How does the Spirit, is it just kind of an energy that's inside my heart that makes me more generous? No, there's something actually, when the Bible talks about the Spirit, there's another place in in Romans. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit in us as the Spirit of Adoption. It's great where it says that the Spirit testifies with our spirits, talks to our spirit, that we are children of God. It is the Spirit that gives us a sense of security that I'm cared for. I have a Father who loves me and cares for me, and so I don't need to defend myself all the time and grab for myself all the time. I have a Father who who hears my prayers and is open-handed and generous towards me. And so the Spirit, you know, a person who is filled with the Spirit... And a person who feels a sense of security and assurance in God's love, that's pretty much a synonym. That's the same thing. To be filled with the Spirit means to be assured of, of God's love for us in Christ. And so that's the third thing about how do we become a generous spirit. It's not just that the law of the Lord kind of challenges us and then the Spirit is working in us. But the third thing is we must know the provision of our Father. The provision of the Father towards us um, with our financial needs. And you'll see in this passage, Boaz Gives, this is a, a description of God from the Old Testament that's used a number of times. It's very beautiful. In verse 12, Boaz says to Ruth, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under who, whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz describes God as like a mother bird. <laughs> Mother bird, you know, the powerful guy is a mother bird. And he says, how we're supposed to live is under the mother bird's wing, protected and cared for. And that's how you're supposed to understand what it's like to live in this world, this world that's so competitive and violent and aggressive. You know, it seems like everything seems unstable and out of control. No, you're living under God's wings. You're, you're living under your father's pro- uh, uh, protection. How many of us view our lives that way? How many of you think of all the events that are happening happen in your life, the disruptions that have in your life, happen in your life, what it's like to live in this world? How many of you describe it, would describe it as, I'm living, I'm taking refuge under the wing of my father? 
like a mother, mother bird caring for me and protecting me. How many of you see the world that way, see your life that way? And um, this is a very different vision of the world than our culture gives us. And uh, Peter Kreeft, uh, who's kind of a Christian philosopher guy, this is how he describes our, our world. Our mobile society encourages competition and economic aggression rather than contentment. Let me read that again. Our mobile society encourages competition and economic aggression rather than contentment. Someone who isn't climbing the social ladder is regarded as a fool and a failure. You're, we, are, we are taught to climb to the top of the heap. What we're not taught is that the heap is a garbage heap. And... Uh, our culture trains us to scramble and grab and compete to get ours. And we begin to think, no one else is looking out for me except me. No one is going to care for me except me. And Boaz is giving a radically different picture of life, um, that we live under the shadow of the Lord's uh, wing. And um, resting in the Father's provision and knowing the Lord does not let his children starve. And um, let, me, let me just say this. Uh, one of the reasons that we hold on to our possessions tightly is because we do not believe that our Father cares for us this way. We don't believe this is true, that our whole life is lived under the shadow of his wing. We live in his wing. He provides for us. He cares for us. We are his children. F- good fathers don't let their children uh, suffer and, st- and starve and go without eating and be cared for. He is generous to them. And... Um, you know, it's very interesting. I, 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 this is a, I heard a pastor who gave some of these statistics about our culture and how generous, how much money different uh, socioeconomic brackets give away. And this is quite shocking. He said that in our culture, people who made less than $25,000 a year gave away 7.7% of their income. But people who made between 25000 and 50000 gave away 4.6% of their income. And people who made between 50000 and $75,000 gave away 3.5% of their income. And people who made between 75000 and 100000 gave 3%. And people who made between $100,000 and $200,000 gave 2.6% away. People who made $200,000 a year or more uh, however many millions that might be, gave only 2.8% of their income away because they couldn't afford to give more. They couldn't give, you go from 7, what was that, 7.7% down to 2.6%. And what that's an amazing thing is when we see our life is knowing, I'm scrambling to get whatever I can to get to the top of the heap, we are training our hearts that no one's looking out for me but me. But when we live in the provision of our Father, we can be open-handed and generous. And so it is the provision of the Father that, uh, that cares for us. And so what that means is that when we come to a question, when you come to the law, and, and maybe you're the, not the person who's encouraged by the law, and it's like, that's a guide, okay, I feel challenged. Maybe you're the person who feels this sense of guilt, and you're like, wow, I'm not a generous person. And when you hear the law, what do you do then? You can't just start being a generous person. All right, the law says be more general, so, generous, so do it. You can't do that. The answer is to repent. And let me tell you carefully what repentance is. Repentance is now start doing the law. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is telling the Lord, 
I do not trust you. I do not believe that I live in the shadow of your wing. And I want to turn away from scrambling to get my own, and I want to rest in your love. And so, Lord, I'm going to begin to walk and trust in your care. And I'm going to, I'm going to view my possessions that way. I'm going to view my money that way. I'm going to view my job that way. Is that I rest in your care. That's what repentance is. It, it's, a, it's dealing with the heart. Okay? So here we see so far... what. Rich resources the Bible has for us. How do you become a generous person? Is first the law challenges us. Beautiful picture of, of what generosity is. But then we realize that this, God gives his spirit to work in us and, and give us new hearts so that we become generous. And what the spirit primarily tells us in our hearts is that you have a father who will care for you and provides for you. And that you're his child. And so you can trust him and you can be generous. But there's one last thing that I want to talk about, about being a generous person, is also the importance of the example of Jesus. And, you know, I, one of the things I love about this passage is here's Boaz. Boaz is a very respected man in his community. You know, he's got workers in his fields. He's wealthy, and uh, he's, he's well-respected. And then he says in verse 11, this is what he says uh, to Ruth. Ruth says to him, why are you being so generous to me? And this is what he says. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz says to Ruth, uh, Ruth is an inspiration to Boaz. This homeless widow, foreigner, has become an inspiration to Boaz. He sees her and she's an example to him. And it's almost like she's instructing him and showing him how you be a generous person. He's learning from her. And um, this is one of the things about becoming a generous person is that we see it in others. But this is an important thing about the example of Jesus because for many people, when you ask people to say, you know, what do you think about Jesus? People say, I think he's a great man. I think we should all find him to be an example. And if you count the number of people who think that Jesus is a good example and actually live their lives in a way that resembles him is very few, right? Because Jesus just being a good man who is an example to us, will not change your life. It will not make you a generous person. Because what's so important about imitating Jesus is that we don't just imitate what Jesus does in his generosity. We imitate what Jesus has done for me. He has done something for me personally. It's not just that he's been generous to some person out there that I don't know. He's been generous to Nate Walker. He knows my name. And uh, 2 Corinthians... This is what the Apostle Paul says in actually a section of 2 Corinthians where he's uh, talking about being generous. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Kingly title, Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And the, at the heart of becoming a generous person, if you realize in your heart and you say, you know what, I realize I'm not a generous person, the place to start is to not say, I'm going to start being a generous person, but is to go and look at Christ, who became poor for you, who was rich, all things were given to him, and uh, he humbled himself to the point of a servant. He became a poor man and took, he was rejected by humanity. He took our sin, took our debt upon himself so that we might become rich in him and share in his riches. And the more we meditate on that, that that is the, 
that's the very core of my identity, is that God has been generous and continues to be generous to me. We gradually, our hearts soften, our hands open, and we begin to be a generous people. So, as we think about becoming a generous community, let's meditate on him, the one who became poor for us, that he might transform us by sending his spirit into our hearts and that we might know that we have a father who cares for us deeply and will always provide for us. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for your word and for the challenge of your word. I pray for those who are here that your spirit is uh, at work in now. I pray for those who do not know your fatherly care, who do not know that Jesus came and took our debt um, so that we might be freed of our debt and to share with us all uh, of his riches in the heavenly places. I pray that you would teach us about all these things deep in our hearts so that it would become natural for us to give to others the way you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.